Welcome to our next Ask a Scientist podcast. My name is Atta Sarajadini. I'm the Dean of the College of Science at Florida Atlantic University. I'd like to begin each of these podcasts with a discussion of what science actually is and how it's done. So science is a tool to better understand the natural world. And to better understand just means that we will never completely understand the natural world. And so every time we apply the scientific method, we're improving our understanding of nature. Now, how does science work? How does it operate? How is it a tool to better understand the natural world? Well, there are basically three steps. After you ask a question, you go out and gather observations or data to help answer your question. Those observations or data then lead to an explanation. You want to work to explain those observations. Another word for explanation is hypothesis. Another word for hypothesis is theory. And every good theory makes good predictions. And the predictions are then tested against the observations to see if they come true. If they do, then the explanation or hypothesis or theory is probably correct. If they don't, then you have to go back and modify the explanation to produce better predictions that are in line with the observations. I would like to, to talk about next is to bring in our guest, uh, Professor Nachibe Tunter in the Department of Mathematical Sciences at Florida Atlantic University. And her research is in the area of disease transmission and modeling how diseases are transmitted. And this is particularly relevant now, as many of you have heard of the coronavirus that is slowly starting to spread across the parts of the world. Um, first, let me welcome Dr. Tunser to our podcast. Welcome, Denise Nechibe. Thank you. So I'd like to begin with asking you what your research is about, kind of the 30,000-foot view of what you do. What I do is uh, I develop mathematical models to understand how an infectious disease spreads in the population. These models help us determine the best strategies to control the disease as well. And as I mentioned earlier, the scientific method is beginning with data. So can you tell us about the data that you use? For my research, I am mainly interested in multi-scale models. And multi-scale models require multi-scale data. So to be specific, I use data at two different scales, individual scale and the population scale. So let me explain what I mean by population scale data. This type of data is usually a cumulative number of uh, new incidences reported by the health agencies such as CDC or World Health Organizations. And uh, this type of data can also be the number of new infections appearing in the population, or it can be also the number of deaths induced by the disease. So this is usually a time series data, and it's usually given daily, weekly, or yearly, depending on the disease. So, for instance, for the HIV, the data is given usually in years. And, but for the seasonal H1N1 flu, the new incidences are reported weekly. So at the individual scale, we use the viremia level of an infected individual. So when an individual gets infected, the viremia levels first increase, and then the host's immune response kicks in to eliminate the virus. So this is also a time series data, and it's usually given in days for the acute infections. And so once you have this, these data to work with, what kind of models do you produce? What do the models or explanations look like when you're trying to explain how these viruses get transmitted from person to person and yes. group to group? Yes. 
So to be able to use these type of data, I develop uh, mathematical models at two different scales. Uh, so at the population scale, uh, I divide the population into non-intersecting classes. So for instance, for a very simple uh, model, we divide the population into two classes, acceptable class, which consists of healthy individuals and infected class. Then what we do is we analyze the dynamics of these two, two classes. And we use the population level data for these type of models. To use the data we get from labs for the infected host, we model the immune response to an invading pathogen. This is what we call the within-host model. So the population level model, we call it usually the between-host model, and the individual level model, we call it the within-host model. So then we have two models at two different scales, and then we link those models by, uh, for instance, setting or defining the transmission rate as a function of the infected host's viremia level. Or we can also, you know, uh, define the disease-induced death rate as an infected host uh, viremia level, depending on the infected host viremia level as well. I see. So these models you're talking about are really a set of equations. And these equations are designed to uh, represent how these diseases move exactly. about in population. Exactly. I see. And as I said earlier in my introduction, every good model or explanation makes a prediction, exactly. which you can then test against the observations. Can you talk a little bit about how that is done? How do you take the predictions of your equations, your model, and test that or compare that to the observations, the data. Can you talk about that? So, yes. So what you do is first you develop a mathematical model and the outcomes, the predictions of this model varies as you vary the parameters of the model. Then you have the data, you have the observations. So basically what you do is uh, you try to find the parameters of the model which minimizes the differences between the model predictions and the observations. So you use some optimization techniques to estimate the parameters that minimizes these differences between the predictions and the observations. I see. So you take the predictions of your model and the observations, and you try to minimize those differences. And one of the other points I've made in the previous podcast in this series is how science is a self-correcting process that over time, if the predictions of models are not correct, then we modify the models so until they are or until they're better. I would like to hear what, from your experience, you've seen in the past, how that has happened in your field. How has modeling of disease transmission improved over time because we just learn more or have better data to work with? In the past, the modeling of disease transmission was done only at single scale. So scientists were working with models at population scale as well as the models at individual scale. But, uh, but now, for the last 10 years, mathematicians are trying to link these two models at different scales. Because uh, the goal is we're trying to understand how an infected individual's immune response impacts the spread of the disease. So, for instance, uh, these uh, multi-scale models can tell us whether an antiviral or a vaccination, which are both happening at the individual scale, is better at eliminating the disease in the population. 
And um, you spoke earlier about your research being in the multi-scale yes. um, representation of disease transmission. Multi-scale represents or refers to the study of this transmission on small scales, uh, groups of people, to large scales, which are communities and even like, you know, large, uh, like countries, for example. So is that something that's also been um, something you can do recently that you couldn't do before, the multi-scale aspect of your work? That's something that we can do now, but we couldn't do before. And can you talk about why that is? Well, I don't want to say we couldn't do before. I think we could, but the medical tools were already there. Yes. The thing is, maybe we are realizing more, and there is more data available in the within host level. So there, when, for instance, with Zika, within months we had uh, so many data available for the immune response of the rhesus monkeys, for instance. So since we have data available at both scales, it's better to use both of them to better understand the disease. I see. So I think I don't want to say it's not couldn't. Maybe we are becoming more aware. Right. We are realizing more, and now we are using the tools and maybe developing new tools to use these, you know, uh, data at both scales. Thank you for the last one or two minutes. Uh, I'm I'm sure the listeners would like to know what is coming down the line in terms of the coronavirus. What kind of information are you looking to gather to help? better understand how that virus is expected to be transmitted among different societies. What are you looking for now? Um, as mathematical epidemiologists, the first thing we look at when we see an emerging uh, disease is we would like to know what's the reproduction number is, what's the basic reproduction number. And that number tells us if a disease will spread in a population or the disease will die out. So what is basic reproduction number is if you, let's say, you have a totally susceptible population and you introduce one infected individual to this population, and during his or her infectious period, you watch out how many more new infections this person will produce. So if this number is more than one, definitely the disease will spread in the population. If this number is less than one, then the disease will die out. So that's the first thing that I would like to see before you know, making any comments. So that is, I suppose, in many ways, the most crucial yes, piece basic, of information. Yes, exactly. Basic reproduction number is a very important threshold value for an emerging infectious disease. Thank you very much for your time, Professor Tunsar. I've been speaking to Professor uh, Nachibe Tunsar at Florida Atlantic University. And if you have some feedback on this podcast, please go to our website, science.fau.edu slash scientist.php, and please give us your feedback on these podcasts. Thank you very much for listening.